All right. Welcome back, everybody. It has been a minute. Uh, first of all, Dom, how are you doing? It's been probably months at this point since we've been on the main feed. Yeah, this is the real uh, historical event that's going on here. So we're actually posting a podcast about <laughs> uh, something on the main feed for all of you fine people out there. I guess you already know how I am because uh, not to date this podcast, but uh, already recording other stuff for our fine patrons. So if you miss hearing our voices and you want to hear, uh, I guess, either from us or about episode nine of Survivor Micronesia, work away over to patreon.com slash Uh Little rusty with the plugs there, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get back on form. You nailed it. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, good to be back here. Uh, and uh, I think your life is in a greater state of our people at this point than mine is, but uh, unclear how deep you want to go on that. Yeah, uh, so I don't think we've had an occasion to talk about this on the main feed since the last time we were on here. I did not know that this was about to happen, but uh, I have over the last... Wait, hold on. You you didn't know the death of the Queen was about to happen, but you just... <laughs> You not not get a memo or what? Spoilers, Dom. We haven't gotten to that yet. Uh, but since the last time we have spoken uh, on this podcast feed, I have almost out of nowhere, uh, but very happy to be here, moved to Florida. Tentatively happy to be here, might I add. So far, so good down here in Florida. Uh, but yeah, so there has been a lot up in the air, and that has been a big part of why we haven't been back here, but also, you know, Survivor has been in the off season. And as Dom mentioned, uh, we have been covering plenty over on the patron feed, talking our way through Survivor Micronesia. So if anyone uh, missed Dom's immaculate plug there, patreon.com slash Dom and Colin, uh, if you would like to talk, to, like to hear us talk not only about that season, but about many, many others uh, that we have been putting up there for the last several years. But today we are back not to talk about Survivor, although I will say Survivor 43 at this point is right around the corner, and we are excited to get back in the swing of things there as well. But today, Dom, a special kind of emergency podcast here where over the years, I think we started in 2016 or so uh, with some one-off kind of news slash pop culture, if you want to call it that, podcast talking through both the U.S. election uh, and the U.K. election that was going on around that time. And th those sorts of podcasts have popped up here and there over the years. And this is another one in that mold uh, in relatively recent news, although I will acknowledge we were a couple days behind on this, uh, but did want to come in here and talk about a what I would classify as a pretty major kind of world event here. I don't know that it's going to have any kind of like tangible consequences for England or the rest of the world. But yes, at uh, the time of this recording, we are a couple days removed from the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Dom, as our junior European correspondent, and again, I am the chief European correspondent, but I'm passing this one off to you, my subordinate. What was your reaction when you found out that this person who I'm guessing has played not a major role in your life, but certainly a constant role in your life as uh, a person who grew up in England. What did you think when you found out that this had, I'm going to cautiously frame this as finally happened, although I recognize how that sounds. <laughs> well, my, my immediate reaction was my time has finally come. I have to make content about this because there simply won't be enough to satiate people's <laughs> appetite. And I, I think the world needs to hear my takes as well as uh, everyone else's. But yeah, there, there is a section uh, out 
out there, and I could be convinced to be one of them who believes that uh, this was not actually an event that happened in the past few days, and that perhaps, uh, <laughs> you know... Oh, the, the we're, we're already going down this <laughs> rabbit hole? <laughs> well, no, no, I, you have to get pretty far down the online rabbit hole, but not that hard to do, but... Uh, Yes, uh, unless you're one of those uh, Queen Anon, I guess, people who believes that uh, the Queen has actually been dead for some time and that some, you know, body double hologram or whatever has been, uh, you know, filling in for her public appearances since then. Uh, it, it felt like, okay, th- this is a 96-year-old woman, even with the finest uh, of both modern medicine and relatively old medicine, given that she is 96 and uh, ascended to the throne, uh, you know, decades before i was even born like she has had a good innings she has lived a long and comparatively healthy life but uh you know the the grim reaper comes for us all in the end and her so her mother the the queen mother made it to i want to say the 99 or 100 and that in itself was seen as this big event and the death of the queen mother back in 2005 was uh, I, i don't know exactly what the designation was but there were a lot of uh you know waterball news bulletins and a lot of international coverage and so on and uh that was like one of the big royal news stories in its own right uh nothing that could really compare to this and this this is the big one that everyone knew was going to happen at some point and the the big question was how are people going to react and uh so there was an interesting feature about this a few years ago uh going into uh operation london bridge which was essentially the protocol that all of these major national institutions in the UK and across the world have in place for when this event would finally happen uh, and going into all the preparations for that and all of the the very involved uh, steps that, that have to be taken. And now we are fully in the midst of that. And so we're seeing that all play out now in real time. Yeah. And how did you personally feel about this? Like, I, I've known you for a long time. I'm guessing you were not, just based on what I've seen from you over the years, some devoted stan of the queen who's going to be, like, heartbroken and not figure out how to put the pieces back together. I'm guessing you can move on in more or less the same form that uh, you were already moving on from England in. But so similar to the way that, like, I, as I said, I just moved to Florida prior to that. I had spent my entire life in the Northeast, and I don't, at least yet, miss the Northeast. You know, I miss my friends and family that are there, but I'm not, like, clamoring to go back to the Northeast anytime soon. But it does occur to me, now that I'm down here in the Southeast, that it is, on at least some level, a bit weird. I feel a bit, not even necessarily out of place, but I do recognize that this thing that has just been a constant present in my presence in my life is now to make this all about me, of course, is now no longer the situation. Do you at least feel that sort of thing about the queen no longer being the queen? I think that is the total of it for a lot of people and especially a lot of people of my generation who really feel no sentimental attachment to either the queen herself or the monarchy as an institution. But it is this thing in the background that offers this level of continuity and it's this shared experience of source. It's part of our national culture, which a lot of, uh, again, for my generation, a lot of our shared national culture is complaining and almost uh, disavowing the rest of our shared national culture. And you see a lot of that <laughs> in the social media reaction to uh, to all of these events this week is a lot of people like, you know, vocally calling out the royal family and almost 
putting on a show of rejoicing about her death and, and stuff like that. And yeah, a lot of it is weird when it comes from other places. So like a lot of Americans almost leaning into uh, the the one sixteenth of their family tree that's Irish because you know the, the the Irish are throwing a great party about this supposedly, and so we're, we're going to kind of glom onto that by association. Um, I, in reality, I think that. There are a lot of people who, again, the queen is more of a symbol and more of just like a presence than she is a person with her own distinct personality. So there's no sense of like grief in the traditional sense. It's more of a, you know, this thing which we took for granted in our lives is is gone now. And for people much older than me, uh, this is one of the things that has given them that sense, that sense of continuity throughout their life is that for as much as... Uh, you know, in the 70 years since the Queen came to the throne uh, and she celebrated her Platinum Jubilee uh, just earlier this year, like so much has changed since then. The world has uh, transformed fundamentally in so many ways. One of the, the few things that is the same now as it was back then is the Queen. And the Queen is uh, older and the royal family more widely has gone through some pretty turbulent times since then. But the Queen herself has been this kind of a stabilizing force at the center of it all which has uh really and in terms of the queen's role in the monarchy has helped to stabilize that as an institution in a way that uh we're going to see if charles can carry that torch forward in any kind of responsible way and future generations down the line but there was this sense of only the queen could do what the queen did and what the queen did was not doing anything if that makes sense was somehow for 70 years not really getting involved in any kind of public scandal. And to some extent, that is because she is shielded from scandal. And so the things which she personally can and should be held accountable for, things like uh, covering up uh, the possible uh, misdeeds of Prince Andrew and so on, uh, and his links to you know, Epstein and, and all of that stuff, like that is something which she is personally responsible for in a way that, Maybe the, the monarchy at large isn't. Um, and yet there's very little discussion of that, certainly in the public sphere. And even uh, on like an individual basis, it's much, you know, it's kind of weighed against the rest of her record, such as it is, in a way that, you know, I, I don't know if that level of charity would be extended to most other public figures. So I know that just having talked to you about things along these lines in the past, I believe it is roughly the case that the queen and the royal family at this point mostly exist as kind of a means to draw in tourism to England uh, rather than having any sort of like official political duties. But what would like a royal family loyalist tell an outsider like me or just anyone who is asking is the role of the royal family? Is it just stay out of trouble and seem as godlike as possible or what? So in theory, the role of the, the constitutional monarch, which is what she officially is or was, uh, is to be like the last line of defense against any kind of like constitutional impropriety. So um, that role has never really officially come up, but there were times of like political instability back in the seventies where it was unclear, uh, you know, who is going to form the next government and uh, like the electorally, the, the country had a few elections back to back and was kind of deadlocked there. And it was unclear what the way forward was. And the queen didn't make any kind of public pronouncement there, but 
in her role as the the backstop like it, it is her kind of so but basically when things are going right the queen is not meant to even be visible in that sense she is meant to be more of a ceremonial role but when that role is called upon to do something she's meant to step up to that challenge and you know make sure everything simmers down to the point where she can recede into the background again um and in the all of the the brexit uh back and forth and so on there, there have been points where like uh when boris johnson was proroguing parliament and, and effectively uh, suspending parliament as a means to try and work his uh deal through like the the possibility of the queen intervening to stop that was something that a lot of uh boris's most ardent opponents kind of clung onto as like well this is if things really get that bad like this is another route by which all of this could be uh, averted so um the, the the role of the monarch has been as a political one i think it's in recent years come into the forefront a bit more even in the sense of like the people who relied on that as uh as something tangible i think ultimately left disappointed so i know she was on the throne for many many decades long before you and i were born as far as royalty goes did she do an exceptional job and was she well regarded by the british public for the job that she did I, so the answer is the short answer is yes the long answer is maybe she did the job so effectively that you can't tell how much of that was her and how much of it was just not really doing anything and, and this is the, the the paradox at the heart of the role which is that she is meant to be uh like so so much of her like day-to-day -day job is uh you know ribbon cuttings and making these public appearances and not really inserting yourself into events in any way but just being present at events to lend a certain kind of uh vibe or feeling to them the sense of like legitimacy and grandeur and so on uh and so if she were to break that facade and actually assert herself as a personality or as a public figure as a political figure then that role itself would wither away and be called into question in a way that you know the fact that it hasn't really been over the course of 70 years is a testament to how well she did that. I think that whatever your views about the institution, it does take a certain kind of discipline to not court controversy in that way over such a long time frame. Uh, and this is a thing which her son Charles, who is now King Charles III, has struggled with mightily over that time span. And he is a, a very interesting contrast with his late mother in the sense that he has been quite vocal about his views on various things. And when... The, there have been these like minor royal scandals a lot of it has been because uh prince charles as he was back then used his position to uh as a means of like bartering influence to kind of uh draw the spotlight to certain causes or to uh promote certain people or organizations and so on which really uh you know he's allowed to have his views as a private citizen but as a public figure especially one who as a member of the royal family, carries this this weight and importance, he, he really ought not to be doing that. And so watching him adjust to his new role now, I, I think he actually will know not to do that for the most part, and he will understand that his, uh, you know, his, his position is a lot different now. Uh, but for the past, you know, he's he's basically been waiting for this job for 70 years. Like, in at the exact age where most people go and start planning their retirement, he now is 
stepping into the role that he's waited for his entire life. Uh, he has had the longest uh, job interview process, if you like, of any a- anyone out there. Um, it's like he has not really showed that discipline, and he will be a very different uh, celebrity, if you like, than the Queen was. But I think that is for the better in the sense that like it shows what the institution really is. Like if you had someone who was as reserved, as buttoned up as the Queen, I, I think that the, the monarchy would remain this kind of uh, enigma. And the fact that you have someone in Charles who is exposing its rough edges probably is uh, a good thing long term just for showing what the limits of that institution really are to people. Yeah, and so I have been a very distant kind of intermittent onlooker, and that is being pretty generous to myself in far, as far as the attention that I've paid to the royal family over the years. But the vibes that I have gotten from Charles, which is, of course, a highly scientific method by which to be judging people, is he strikes me as much more kind of like overtly human than the Queen yes. ever did. Is that potentially a good thing, or are there now going to be like questions about the royal family if it is clearly someone who has had kind of a, if not immediately, at least relatively rocky past is certainly the wrong way of putting it, but someone who has very clearly made his flaws known over the years compared to the Queen that I, I, at least in the short time that I have paid attention to her, has never really come across that way. Yeah, the the Queen is almost remarkable how little of a public persona she has outside of just being the queen. So I've never heard you, her voice. I, I could not begin to tell you what the queen sounds like. I, I mean, th- that is the one thing where like, she did this public address to the nation every year at like a set time. So like that, that is the one thing which if you want to demystify <laughs> the queen to yourself, you can, you, you have 70 years worth of, of speeches to go back and uh, sit through there on a, on a long weekend. But um, the, the, the queen, like you, you can go back through seven decades of, newspaper headlines, including from like the the true lowest of the low, like the the muckraking newspapers who really will do everything they can to chase a story and find basically nothing uh, that casts the queen in a, in a negative light or does her the disservice of assigning any actual personality to her. Like she was very buttoned up, very reserved in almost a quintessentially British way. Like if you ask people, what does the queen mean to you? Like who, what does, well, what do you think the queen is like? The answers you'll get are basically she loved animals and had a kind of thinly veiled disdain for other British people. And that is very relatable to British people themselves. <laughs> like we, we don't really like each other, but we love animals. And that is, uh, you know, if, if a politician ran on a platform of, you know, animal rights and fuck all of you, I, I think that would go down pretty well. Uh, so I, the, the sense that I'm getting, and again, I am grotesquely on the outside here and completely out of my element. The sense that I'm getting, though, is that what the Queen seemed to do very well and what people who liked her liked about her is a kind of sense of stability that she brought yes. to a, a an admittedly probably tough high-wire act in one sense. Certainly not tough, being born into the royal family in general, but a, a probably a delicate balance to try to draw being that central of a focus 24-7 for 70 years, more or less, uh, it, are there concerns that Charles is going to kind of bumble that? Well, well, Charles has been a public figure in the spotlight, and he has courted that spotlight, and 
often been burned by it, so to speak. And if you go back to you know the eighties and nineties uh, and so on, like his relationship with Diana and his falling out with Diana and his affair with Camilla, who is now his uh you know queen consort, which essentially means like she is alongside him and she's not the queen officially, but like she is in all but name like the his his companion in all of this. Um, like that has been played out in the pages of the newspapers and on the, the TV news bulletins and so on. And it's a very like salacious story. And so uh, you, you can go and find all uh, records of like the, uh, the, the flirting text that Charles and Camilla exchange, which are like very weird, but in this almost kind of relatable way. And uh, like it, Charles is a deeply flawed, but also deeply public person. And he doesn't want to be, crammed into the shell but it's going to find that he he has to be now and you already see uh in some of these videos that are going viral the where like he is kind of shooing away uh aides coming close to him or like beckoning them to do these menial tasks for him like he uh like the, the queen would never let herself be pictured even uh having this kind of uh arrogance being imputed to her uh whereas charles like is openly a little irritable and arrogant and haughty and so on, but also has, I guess, positive emotions is the, the general way to put it, uh, on display, wearing his heart on a sleeve in a way that the Queen didn't. And so he is a very stark contrast in that sense, almost in the same way that you, you see it suggested that, like, if you track the political leaders of a various country, one pattern you often see is that... Uh, they often feel like a direct contrast or a direct reaction to the person who came before. Um, uh, And so, you know, we don't really have a longer line of monarchs to to draw that link between, and that's part of why the Queen's reign stands out as so significant. But it is really hard to find a bigger gap than the one between the Queen and Charles in terms of their public personalities. And what you mentioned about, um, like, obviously... The, being born into the royal family is an incredibly privileged position. Like it's really hard to to be born with a more <laughs> of a silver spoon in your mouth. At the same time, the public demands of that role in terms of the the attention and the spotlight is unlike anything that people without that privilege would have to grapple with. And this is the the struggle that Prince Harry has gone through very publicly, first in and now effectively outside of the royal family, right? Um, and so if you reject the entire royalty as an institution you're not going to come to that with much sympathy and that's understandable um but people respond to those very unique demands in different ways and uh you know the queen decided to essentially ignore it by just not allowing herself to become the story whereas charles embraced that and wanted to be the story and when he was sometimes it was for the better and sometimes it was uh, for the worse so Again, from a super ignorant foreigner point of view, as far as all of this is concerned, it has, for my, as long as I can remember, in whatever ways that I have been aware of the royal family, come through to me like the queen is more or less knocking her queenly duties out of the park, and for the you know for the most part, people are satisfied with the job that she's doing or, or, you know, there are plenty of detractors who would not be satisfied no matter what she was doing, but those who care about that sort of thing and are open to the possibility that she might do a good job have always seemed happy with that. And I have similarly gotten vibes along those lines about 
William, and I know he's now next in line for the throne, but I uh, I have always and I'm I'm guessing a big piece of this also stems from you know how beloved Diana was and how he and Harry were always in the public spotlight as little kids and have been groomed for this their entire lives and you know you mentioned Harry not uh, responding in nearly the same way it seems to that sort of thing as William has but the point I'm getting at is it seems like the Queen for anyone open to that sort of thing was a very clear check in the good column. It's always struck me that William was very getting very good marks in like the good column. And I'm wondering if that idea of it, like potentially skipping a generation could be in play here. And f along similar lines, like would it have been a realistic thing for her to do in her more advanced age to like, step down and let Charles take over earlier? And was she like actively choosing not to do that? Uh, I don't know if it was ever realistic, really. Uh, and there was no prospect of it skipping a generation. Like it was going to be Charles and the, the, the difference between Charles's position and William's position is that even though, I mean, maybe Charles is going to continue this uh, this trend of long lifespans, and maybe he's going to have another 25 years as king there in him, by which point William himself will be in his 60s and going on the age that Charles is now. But the difference there is that Charles has been the heir in waiting for his entire life, for that 70-year stretch, whereas William has only will only have been for like 20, 25 years, which is a very long time. But in the, the grand scheme of things and in the trend set by his own, uh, you know, uh, father and then uh grandmother really does not seem like very long when you look at the the 70 year reign of elizabeth and then um however long his his father lasts so i william we like he is more of a known quantity and to that extent there are already some like rumors of scandal surrounding him and like he has been mixing it up in in the public eye and he's had that public falling out with harry and that, that's actually that that is a segment of i guess royalists or royal sands if you like who might have criticisms to make of the queen is people who kind of buy into the idea as an institution but who feel like the queen could have done a better job at mediating that conflict and specifically of standing up for harry and Meghan in that whole thing um so the fact that the queen never really publicly takes a stance on things she, she can let things be known via the back channels and to have you know media reports that effectively are by her own Auburn name, but um, that is that, that is like the narrow segment that might be uh, pro monarchy, but uh, but uh, have criticisms to make of Elizabeth is that like she didn't do a good job of managing that internal turmoil more effectively. Yeah, and I mean to say nothing of Andrew that uh, it seemed more like quite. probably I mean, that's, been, yeah that that is like the the open sore on on the royal family, and it's. It, on, on one level, it's kind of an impossible position to be uh, in the spotlight the way the Queen is and to have your own son be embroiled in just like truly disgusting like allegations like that. At the same time, that is when you as a person and as an institution have to step up a, a real statement and let it be known that like of all, you know, this is something that cannot be brought under the rug. And uh, to whatever extent someone can be publicly excommunicated from the royal family that is what would need to happen to him and instead it seems like you know people like uh, harry and Meghan markle are receiving a harsher treatment for kind of going against uh normal royal protocol 
than someone who is accused of just doing these truly unspeakable things. Right. Yeah. And what, if anything, would it take? Like, what would have to be discovered about Charles or the family itself? Or what is there some path at all towards this set of genes, to put it in a weird way, losing their claim to the throne or if if it turns out that charles has murdered dozens of people does it just go directly to <laughs> william is is there any circumstance where there's any kind of like overthrowing in a new royal family or could so could, like who <laughs> i i uh this is a, a type of hypothetical that i am really not equipped to answer as fun as it is to think about if it turned out that Charles, and obviously I do not believe that this is the case, nor am I suggesting that this is the case. If something ludicrously nefarious were going, were discovered to have been going on with Charles that reached sup, such a boiling point that like he just had to step down as king, we would just go right to William and brush that all under the rug? I mean, now that Charles is installed as king, I, I don't know if he can be dislodged, and I also don't know if having waited over 70 years to uh, ascend to the throne if he would be willing to go quietly. So I, that would be something that would really cause a crisis in the monarchy, like a fundamental existential one is if, um, I, I don't even know what it would have to be about Charles, but something it's on probably the a dumb of, question, but I, I mean, yeah, I guess I mean, the, the question I'm really asking is, are the, are, is this family like the direct descendants of like Henry the eighth and the Kings and Queens from back I, in the day? <laughs> I mean, that that one is a question with a clear factual answer, which and, if I was interested enough, I could just look up on the Internet. So, I, I mean, I will defer to Wikipedia uh, on that one. But, for example, right, let, let's say it came out that uh, the Queen played a very direct role in hushing up stuff around Prince Andrew. Charles would be in kind of an impossible position to know how to respond to that publicly. And it would be like a real test of his character and his role uh in in how he responded but um like so much of the like the of what is taken to be the scandal surrounding the royal family it is stuff that the tabloids feed on and not any like actual criticism of their behavior or of the monarchy as an institution it is all like the uh the, the kind of gutter press having a field day do the royal family obviously whether they want to or not it's going to happen both in england and in america where we for whatever reason have some kind of deep fascination it seems with the royal family as well is it in a way good for them in certain ways to stay in the tabloids or would they rather just not be discussed in any kind of negative terms ever whatsoever well that their entire game is media management i mean that is the name of the game they, they exist as celebrities in a sense like they are even in an era before like everyone had a tv set in their home th this was the first kind of a gateway to reality tv as you have this uh this the, these public personalities who are meant to be consumed as public personalities and understood in that way and so you know that this is if you are a you know a scholar of media or whatever like the the royal family is just this fascinating case study and as a member of that family you need to kind of understand it in that light yourself and have that self-awareness of your role and how it's being perceived and this is where the queen's sheer longevity really casts a new light on all of that because you know she was there before the era of like color tv in every home like she was 
I like my my mother turned 70 this year and her entire life is contained within the the reign of the queen like when the queen was in her own in her mid-20s herself ascending to the throne like my mother's entire life has been with the queen as the backdrop going from you know a, a young woman at the time to being in her, her mid-90s uh now uh, and so just the fact that she spans all of the massive social changes that have taken place during that time um is like the, the fact that you can find this common element between any two points like that that is what is really startling about it and that is why i think the queen has been so good at just not letting her sons be known about things like in an era where public views about you know for example accepting homosexuality have like changed so drastically it would not shock me if the queen as a religious woman of her generation and of her age i and in her official capacity in uh you know as head of the church of england like I don't really want to know what the Queen's views on gay marriage were. Like, I don't think I would like to to know that. But the fact that she understood it was not really her role, even though in an official sense it kind of was her role, to take a public view on that. Like, that is uh, that is the essence of the role that she saw herself in. Whereas someone like Prince Charles, who and now King Charles, who was very happy to let his views be known on uh, whatever issue to any reporter who would hear him out. Like, that is a fundamentally different... Uh, person to be dealing with in what is now like a 24-7 media landscape that simply didn't exist back in 1952. I don't think the the average uh, British punter really has a strong view about Charles. Uh, I know there was some opinion polling in like the first few days of his reign in the aftermath of, of all of this, which showed his approval just in the event of being crowned king, like rose dramatically just because people have a new frame of reference for him now they understand him as king and that automatically means taking him more seriously in a way that when he was just kind of a uh, marking time waiting for this moment to happen they they saw no reason to um so i i don't know I, I think charles will settle into the role and people will understand and like come to see him in the role and there's like there's going to be no like dis- uh outcry to you know, install William as uh, the, the true mark or something instead. I think that is something that is you're, you're very much just like coming up. Uh, okay, I guess what I'm getting at is I feel like if it were now William becoming king and Kate becoming queen and the little kids uh, now being like first in line to be the next generation of that, well, America certainly has paid plenty of attention to everything going on here. Some might say too much attention to everything going on here. I feel like if that were the case where it were William taking over right now, the fanfare would be at least 10 times what it is uh, for Charles. And uh, that's really, I guess, the the thing that keeps sticking out in my mind here. But I guess the Charles side of things would be once he gets settled in from an American perspective, is it more or less just no news is good news as far as Charles and his reign is concerned? And he just wants to kind of as best a King can fly under the radar and not cause any waves. That's that, that's the million dollar question, uh, which would be itself a very small portion of the Royal family's uh, overall fortune. <laughs> right. uh, we, we, we really have no idea. And that's uh, I, there are some like truly hilarious timelines, I guess, where uh, Charles just like 
we get King Charles Unchained in, in the public eye for the next 20 years. Yes. Uh, maybe the real-life version of Veep coming us to... Uh, we've already had the real-life version of Veep coming to us for quite some time now, I suppose. So, Charles, why wouldn't he uh, go down that path as well? One a random question about the Queen that I meant to ask earlier, but I will ask you now. What was the closest you ever came to being in like the same room or area with like physical proximity to the queen. Did you ever go see her speak at any occasion or whatever? I, I really feared you were going to ask a question, which would be the entire culmination of our 11 years podcasting together, which would be, do you have the queen in England? <laughs> uh, which I guess now the answer is no. So, uh, you know, perfect timing on that one. But uh, it is possible that I was maybe at some, like, I don't know, ribbon cutting or whatever she was at when i was a kid that i have no memory of uh as far as i know i have not been in the queen's orbit in any capacity but maybe i was like five degrees from queen elizabeth at some point without even knowing it where are you now in the royal line of succession uh i dread to think i i don't know if i have quite the uh purity of blood or whatever as terrible as that sounds to to make it far up that greasy pole but uh i i mean i'll be pleasantly surprised based on what little i know about the queen in her personal life that blood might be a little too pure to be desirable (laughs) yeah when i say that i mostly mean like european uh royals in their own right just like crossbreeding with each other uh, and they're getting a little too close for comfort so maybe it's for the best that i'm not uh in that orbit so here's a question that i have asked probably several times over the years. And I know roughly where you land on this, but you always say that's a separate conversation for a separate time. Now is the time, Dom. Uh, There has been at the very least a conspiracy theory, if not more than that over the years that the queen played some role in the death of Diana. And I am by no means personally alleging uh, that anything of the sort ever happened, although I'm certainly leading you down to the the path to allege whatever you want here. But I know that you have uh, historically been at least open to the possibility that something like that went down. I certainly know that your boy, John Oliver has suggested uh, things along those lines over the years. And actually, the day that the queen died, I was at poker and just coincidentally, one of the guys at my table who I was sitting right next to uh, was British. Shout out to that poor guy who had to deal with me for five minutes or so asking <laughs> about God. the queen and the royal family. And I asked him that question and he said 100 <laughs> percent. She uh, <laughs> was in some way involved in how all of that went down, it, it, even framing it just as a conspiracy theory. What are it just something I've wondered about for a very long time? What would be like her incentive to have played a role in that? And like, what are the the theories surrounding that? Not to go full QAnon here. Well, uh, to to give broader context for the Diana phenomenon as a whole. So Diana at one point, even more so than the Queen, I, I think had a claim to being like the the most prominent female celebrity in the world, or just one of the most prominent public figures, and uh, almost upstaging the queen of her own game or being effectively the person that people thought of when they thought of the royal family and she was uh this ambassador in a way that the queen like in a ceremonial sense was right like she's the head of the the commonwealth and she'll go to all of these events and she's always uh you know dressed up to the nines and doing her part but diana was the the celebrity and the superstar and the person who was an advocate for causes and you know is uh 
25 years on from the death of Diana, like, you know, Diana holding the hands of HIV patients at a time where the stigma was so strong that, uh, you know, people would not want to be in the same room as them, right? Like that, that is, that is the kind of thing which Diana would do, which someone like the Queen, like it wouldn't even enter the conversation. Like it's almost the wrong question to ask, would the Queen do that? Because it just doesn't almost make sense as a question, right? If, if that makes sense. Um, so Diana was seen as this, she was like upstaging the rest of the royal family and also engaged in this very public acrimonious divorce uh, with Charles, which officially, right, they were together for a long point after that relationship had completely disintegrated and Charles was just openly cheating with Camilla and Diana was having affairs on the side as well. And the, the whole thing was this scandal that the royal family wanted brushed under uh, the carpet. And so uh, they wanted ideally Charles to to behave and to, to do his part. But also, like, he is one of them. He is a member of the family in capital letters. Um, and so he had a level of kind of a immunity in that sense that she didn't. And so, you know, to the extent that the royal family had influence in the media and and in the culture at large, that was kind of uh, that backlash was directed at Diana, who had the loyalty more so than the actual royal family did of most of the people you'd expect to be in their corner. So it was a very uh, kind of like public Cold War and hot war almost in terms of like what it did to the institution. When I, I mean, I'm now doing the math, I guess you would have been what, like five years old when Diana died. Did you have any memory of that happening? And like, were you sad when that happened? Did you really have an idea of who Diana was? I didn't. I wasn't sad, but this is the this was a massive contrast between what happened when Diana died and just the the massive public outpouring of emotion in honestly a very non-British way. Like the whole the whole idea of like a stiff upper lip or what have you, or just kind of uh, working through your grief privately. That is, I think, a personality trait that the Queen herself was uh, strongly associated with, and also an element of the the national character, which. Uh, certainly from the Queen's generation was was very strong. And that's something that has loosened up to some extent over time. But with Diana, you saw this like massive public period of mourning and this outpouring of grief. And, uh, you know, Tony Blair, who was the prime minister at the time and who was a, a very kind of a media savvy figure in his own right, like giving these uh, very overwrought, but somehow like he made it work uh, statements about like, uh, you know, she was the people's princess and that's how she'll be remembered, which was true. Like, that's why it worked. Like, people really did identify with her um, in that way. And so when that is that, that that's the marker that was laid down, the question was, well, at that point, the queen is in her 70s. And yeah, the, the queen probably has some time left in her. But when her time finally comes, what is the reaction going to be? And I think a lot of older media figures or people like senior figures in institutions assumed that the queen dying would have that same kind of public uh, effect. And it really has not, as far as I can tell, like even the people who are sad about it, they're sad in the way that the queen would have wanted almost in the way that the queen herself would have been sad, which is, well, that's sad. We'll work through it in private, but you know, life must go on, surf up a lip uh, and, and what have you versus just like the, the wailing and the gnashing of teeth that you that you saw with Diana. So um, 
right now there is this official period of public mourning which is going to last for, for some time still a lot of just uh you know closure of uh of places and uh, events being cancelled and so on and wall-to-wall news coverage which has this incredibly somber tone and seems to carry this assumption behind it that everyone is processing this level of grief in the same way that we are and even older people just don't seem to be as far as i can tell i think a lot of the like that the BBC and our other public institutions have really misjudged the mood of it. It does seem like quite an ordeal. And I will, again, grant that, you know, this woman was the figurehead perhaps of the entire country for as long as most people uh, who are still alive today can remember. But I've seen in just kind of following this in passing without being one of the Americans who's like super into keeping up with the royal family goings on. I saw earlier today, for instance, that like she, her casket or whatever arrived at Buckingham palace. And it feels like it's been several days and sounds like it may be several more days, if not weeks of like official state of mourning for like the entire country. And like some stone is being transported and all these weird traditions. No one's thought about for the last 70 years are suddenly coming back into play. How long do you think it will be before it starts feeling normal for Charles to be king? I think it already feels uh, somewhat normal. And there will be uh, some like small signifiers and large signifiers of that. So at some point, we're going to have Charles on British money, which is going to be an interesting thing to develop. So I don't know what the process is. If uh, the banknotes that have the Queen's face on them will still be legal tender or if you have to like exchange those in or any of the logistics behind that but yeah you, you will have uh the people who still carry cash around with them are going to have five pound notes just with charles's face uh in some kind of a uh, very stuffy pose like facing the other direction now and that's going to be just a, a a small change in just like the the furniture of everyday life to adjust to and that's the level that it's going to be on you you can live your life effectively not knowing or caring who the monarch is but it's just part of the background in a way that, you know, when you see those changes, they're going to be jarring out first and then part of the the background assumptions themselves past a certain point. So are there any angles to this that you feel are pertinent that we haven't really hit yet? I think one of them is just the, the death of the queen. It's encouraged this kind of reckoning about the role of the monarchy as an institution, which the Queen did as good a job as anyone really could of uh, keeping in line because it's never really personal about the Queen herself, uh, the Queen herself. And now that we have Charles, you know, you're going to have a lot of people conflating their own personal criticisms of him and his views and his public persona and so on with the role of the monarchy. But, and now a lot of it is squarely on the role of the monarchy. And because her, her reign was so extensive, like she oversaw uh, all of these fundamental changes like the she effectively was the last imperial monarch in the sense that when she came to the throne in 1952 you saw the kind of last vestiges of the british empire uh being you know they they were winding down and that was often like a very painful process and a lot of uh violence intrinsic to that at the hands of the the british government and so you have this this debate now of well the queen is not personally responsible for any of this. Like she effectively just rubber stamps uh, what her her governments want to do, and that is kind of the point of the queen. Like she is only 
meant to insert herself into proceedings as a last resort. And if she did that with any more regularity, then that in itself would be this constitutional crisis. Um, so there is a defense of the queen that effectively says, you know, don't project your criticisms of like British colonialism or whatever as embodied in the royal family onto the queen because she may have presided over some of these things, but she is not personally responsible for them any more so than any other like public servant, public official would be. On the other hand, I feel like that defense kind of misses the point of what it is to be the queen specifically or to be the monarch, where it's like you are this receptacle for all of people's feelings about uh, the country and about you know, their their own lives in some cases and their own situation. And you are like you exist as this canvas to be projected onto. And like that, that is your role. And to do that effectively, you need to uh, embody those feelings uh, successfully. And so, you know, if someone like, and by and large, actually, like as far as I can tell, support for the monarchy is still pretty strong in almost all of the former colonies and, and former Commonwealth countries. Like, I, I don't think there's going to be much of a, like, Republican shift in in many places there. But uh, there are people in each of those places, understandably, who are saying, look, I have no love for the monarchy or for, like, the UK as a political entity, so why should I give a shit about the Queen dying? Um, and I think the response to that, that, oh, well, it's, it's not the Queen's fault, it's like, well, yeah, it's not the Queen's fault, but the job of the queen is that you think it's the queen's fault. And that if you, you know, any positive associations you have with uh, Britishness or what have you, those get loaded onto the queen. So do all of the negative associations that you have with, uh, with the country and the concepts and so on. Like those get loaded onto her too. And you, you can't really pick and choose in a more granular way than that, I think. Okay. So the queen is now dead. Charles is now in and like officially installed as the king, I could certainly be wrong about this, but I wouldn't be surprised if both William and Kate and Harry and Meghan Markle are done having kids. Maybe they've <laughs> – I, the, the larger question that I'm getting at is it seems like we may be in for kind of a quiet period as far as royal news is concerned, like weddings, babies – new people ascending to more powerful titles, etc. Is there a story or two that we should be on the lookout for to be tracking? I guess if there's any further stuff that comes to light about Prince Andrew or any like legal proceedings uh, in that vein, uh, and then in turn, any stories about what went into disguising the level to which he was involved in any of that, like that is, that has the potential to really be this bomb that blows up the, the monarchy as an institution, I think. Um, and then just in terms of like actual important stories, like that is at the top of the list. Beyond that, uh, my experience is that whenever there is a, a lack of new royal, uh, just low level gossip to sink your teeth into, that void gets filled by just these like horrifically cruel attacks on Meghan Markle. Uh, like you, you, you can go uh, through the archives of, you know, the Daily Mail, the Daily Express. I, I don't recommend actually doing this, by the way, but if you want to inflict a level of psychic damage upon yourself, then by all means. Um, and th there are just like dozens, of, sometimes dozens of stories in in a given week on just finding ways to uh, shame Meghan Markle for things, which like clearly she didn't do. And if she did, it wouldn't be a problem. And it's not clear how she could be involved with them in the first place, but just like this is, 
she is the easiest scapegoat of all time. And you don't need to uh, like her as a person or as a figure in her own right to be just kind of appalled by the way that she becomes this this whipping girl, I suppose, for the worst excesses of uh, the British media, which in itself is like a, just a, a cesspool of, you know, a, a real den of iniquity. Totally. And as someone who was watching Suits back when it very first was airing and all along the way, I have been in love with Meghan Markle for long before it was cool to be in love with Meghan Markle. But Dom, do you like Meghan Markle? I, see, I, I don't really like Meghan Markle, um, but she... I feel like, first of all, I don't know Meghan Markle. I know the public persona of Harry's wife, and I, I didn't know her in her, like, kind of a career as a private citizen before that. Um, and so I don't feel like I know the real person there, and I don't, I, I, you know, I don't have any, like, warmth for her public persona either, but I almost feel obliged to take her side just in this uh, larger struggle, I suppose, if you can say that about a former member of the monarchy and just someone of her like social class in her own right just because of the the sheer level of just absolute bullshit that she has had to deal with and you can say that she signed up for it by marrying into the monarchy and so on but even despite that like it's it's just i don't know how anyone could handle that level of uh, a legitimate scrutiny and b complete bullshit with any level of grace uh, at all. Okay, that was the highest stakes question I've ever asked you. If you were not sympathetic toward Meghan Markle, that would have been the end of the podcast. But uh, <laughs> congratulations on passing that there. Uh, what else, if anything, do you feel like needs to be addressed at this time? I, I don't know if anything needs to be addressed. I don't think I, I have any uh, public duty to fulfill in uh, <laughs> educating people about the monarchy, I suppose. Oh, oh, oh I have one other oh. question. Uh, yes. Not about the Queen, though. So anything else about the royal family? Uh, no, but I, I think the the thing that I was about to mention dovetails with what you were going to mention. So have at it. Okay. So just because we have over the years every so often done some episodes about just British politics in general, I wanted to check in on a very regular recurring character in those episodes who... Uh, I don't think we even talked about it once he actually became prime minister. But after Brexit and all of the fallout with that and the ups and downs of David Cameron and Theresa May, we finally had Boris Johnson uh, take his turn at the helm as prime minister. Things went exactly as one would have expected. And I was blown away to see the other day. I don't know how much truth there is to this. I may have just fallen for some sort of clickbait or whatever, but I believe I saw that Boris wants another shot at being prime minister. What is the current state of just the prime ministership of England? Yeah, he still has uh he is not prime ministry. So heard it both ways. Premiership? Sure. Uh <laughs> he is I think not accepted or come to terms with being turfed out in the way he was and he's the sort of person who he has no shame. He cannot admit any fault in the way that he has added or treated people or what have you. So the, the fact that he has been allowed to get away with so much for so much longer than he ever should have been, like that doesn't even register with him. And then the actual circumstances that led to his being turfed out is the kind of thing which I I think the, uh, the Boris-Trump uh, comparisons are like really overdone. But the one thing that they have in common is that um, they are so like besieged by scandal and their own uh, kind of personality flaws at every turn that it, it seems almost implausible that they are ever going to face the consequences of their actions. And if they ever do, it's going to be like 
oh wait that was the tipping point of all things like now finally um and that it really felt that way with boris johnson uh where he he comes a cropper because of it that, that, like the proximate cause was uh, a scandal involving him ignoring sexual assault allegations about someone that he had uh, promoted several times uh, and then just lying about that uh, constantly but th- there was a whole uh backdrop uh you know that's the necessary to understanding that in any case uh so the <laughs> boris is kind of a uh, nursing his wounds and i think in in to, to use a classical illusion of the sort that he is so fond of making i think he sees himself as like the cincinnati figure who's going to be like recalled once uh this even deeper sense of crisis develops and he is the only person who can save the country and he's going to be summoned to uh to save the country and then be held aloft uh in triumph uh, i don't think that's going to happen i don't think anyone else at this point thinks that's going to happen either there is a level of uh seller's remorse or i guess buyer's remorse too with his replacement in liz truss who uh the we're kind of at the, the stage where like the real diehards of the conservative party and the conservative movement are behind this trust and that's basically the extent of it um and so she is like the the best of the worst in those terms for for who they could find um and she she just she is not an inspiring figure but i think that like boring and bland is for some people will be like a refreshing contrast to the bluster of Boris and him being the, the new story in his own right at, at every turn. But the the really exciting thing about all of this is, um, so Boris, like when the Queen died, Liz Truss, our new Prime Minister, who just a few days ago uh, had been summoned to the Queen's uh, country retreat at Balmoral to be officially sworn in. And this was the first sign that something serious was amiss because that the, the protocol is that happens at Buckingham Palace uh, and that drive, you know, the, the, the prime minister being in the motorcade that goes to the palace. And th- that is the thing that leads to news stories. You get to watch a footage of that playing out live. The fact that that couldn't happen was a sign that, OK, we, maybe we are at the beginning of the end here. Um, so that happens a few days ago when the queen dies. Liz Truss comes out with this official statement, which is, uh, you know, very kind of like measured and by the book and pretty unremarkable. And then Boris kind of uh, counter programs that with his own statement that is much longer, like several pages longer and very florid and very overall and kind of uh, about himself as as much as it is uh, about the Queen. And, you know, that he thought this whole time that he was going to be the one to lead the public response when the Queen died and that he would be the one to be like the voice of the nation when that happened. And he is so fond of comparing himself to Churchill, who the Queen, uh, in one of her rare, like, uh, and this is like semi-public statements, said that, oh, you're my most distinguished prime minister, Winston, back in the day. He's such a fan of Churchill that to be, uh, you know, Churchill was her first prime minister and then... uh, Boris would be her last. That would be the perfect bookend for him and the perfect way to build up her own mythology for himself. And instead, he loses out on that by like three days. And it's, <laughs> it's the perfect uh, ending to that saga. Um, and also that his replacement in Liz Truss, uh, even before the hints that things were going seriously south of the Queen, one thing that uh, was brought up a lot during the the leadership election was that back in the day, like she has been this political comedian over time and kept uh, stretching her allegiances. Uh, so in the 90s, when she was a student, she was a Lib Dem, and crucially, she was a small-R Republican. She was uh, 
she caused a stink within her own party at the time for going to that conference and making a statement that like the monarchy has no place in a civilized society and should be abolished. And so that is the person who gets to lead the public response now as the the, the hardest uh, right wing Tory left after Boris goes instead of Boris himself. And that, I, I can think of no better uh, end to the, the Boris saga than that. I saw that clip on Twitter and that was outstanding uh, research by whoever dug that one up. But yeah, I, it, I know very little about British politics other than what you have told me over the years, but we have really been on an incredible run of whoever ascends to the premiership just owning themselves in increasingly hysterical ways. So whatever like the most catastrophically hilarious outcome is seems quite likely to happen next. So I, I'm excited to, to find out where all of this goes. It, and uh, it's like at this stage, uh, wanting the job of prime minister with the, the poison chalice that it has become over the past few years and wanting the position of leader of the conservative party, both of those require a level of like, lack of shame and also just like sadomasochism uh, or like willingness to inflict pain upon yourself that, uh, you know, no normal person would sign up for. So it's no surprise, really, that uh, anyone who tries to rise to that challenge ends up just like getting slapped in the face with the fish before too long. It's, it's, it sounds very much I'm going to hopefully get this right, like the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Where, yes. <laughs> yeah, it just ends horror i i think i don't remember much of harry potter but i know that it was a different person every time uh all right i'm glad that i nailed that reference uh dom i would love to sometime once we see more of this play out check back in on just british politics in general because every single time i learn more uh i just want to keep diving deeper and deeper but for now anything else you want to get out there for the people today I uh, no, I think that's going to do it. It's uh, it's nice to be back here on the main feed talking about I, I, really anything, but this in particular, I feel like this is a topic which has gripped people, but maybe not gripped them in the way that uh, you know, the the very somber waterfall coverage that you'll find on the BBC or whatever uh, would assume. Okay, well, good to know that Dom is rooting for more famous people to die so that we can come back in here and talk uh, about all of what goes down. But yeah, I think that is going to do it for us here today. Dom is, of course. On Twitter, at DomHRV, I am at Colin Stone. One more time for the people in the back, uh, if you would like to hear us talk more about Survivor during this off-season, which is only lasting for another couple of days, but if if you're really jonesing for it, patreon.com slash Dom and Colin. Uh, tons of old Survivor seasons, rewatching episode by episode over on there. Currently, uh, just wrapped up the merge in Micronesia. A lot of fun with all of that and looking forward to the rest of the post merge there. But until next time, which will probably be the survivor 43 premiere, but we will see uh, what ends up coming up between now and then that is going to wrap it up for us. Thank you everyone who made it this far. We will talk to you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Okay. Fuck meant to say queen states, queen adios to end it, but (laughs) (laughs) just, no, just leave that in. That'll be fine. Uh, This can be the official ending. Uh, We've salvaged this. Uh, good, Good night, everyone. Goodbye. Okay, good.